This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello from a comfortable chair in the living room of the city, as our Palmerston North Library is known. It has had a chequered past, and here to tell us about it is Leslie Courtney, who is the team leader of the archives in here. So welcome, Leslie. Hello, Han. So what can you tell us about Palmerston North's first library? Right, well, um, I guess it started way back, and not quite as a library as we would know it, but uh, I guess... Yes, really the township of Palmerston North started growing from about 1870 when people moved onto those sections they'd bought and started to live in this new town. So by 1876, uh, it hadn't grown considerably, but a population was beginning to develop that counted this place as home. And a group of citizens at that time established a reading room. So this was a reading room. Uh, it was above the ta- uh, the public hall uh, at that time on the corner of the square. And it was a place where there were what they called periodicals. So it would be newspapers and magazines from home, so to speak. So they would be ones that had come from overseas and people could go there and basically just read what was available to them. And that was by subscription. So you had to be a member and you would turn up and uh, do your reading at, on during the opening hours. So they did slowly then over the next few years, they started to add a lending library and I'm presuming that was because of demand. You know, people couldn't always give the time to sit and read so they started to add some books that people could borrow and take home. And the um, council also gave them a small grant as well to start to develop a collection of books like this and they also took book donations But then in 1879, uh, things had changed politically around the country as well, and the council decided that they would actually open a library themselves that was uh, a lending institution. Now, that still meant that people had to subscribe, so it was those who could afford to pay, but they would uh, provide a place where people could lend copies of books and take them away. Now, they had to take this to the community. So they put out a poll in 1879 and the Palmerstonians were welcome to the idea of paying a special rate, which which was fairly minor, and to actually finance this, even though they still took subscriptions for it. So that was really our first library as such. So 1879, although the ideas had grown from that 1876 private institution, they put in a librarian who was the town clerk. So uh, I guess he was just told that he was going to be the person who, <laughs> who got a new job this place um, and had a bit of a caretaker who could do things because they did open in the evenings as well so that people could pop in after work. And they um, 
they were really then, this was the first service as such that the council offered to the community. To that point, of course, they'd just been busy trying to provide roading of some sorts uh, and not much else really. So this was the first real service that they offered. And even though you had to pay a subscription, the reading room was free to everyone. So people could just go and sit down and, uh, and, and read the stock. So a reading room conjures up a gentleman's club sort of thing, but women and everything, uh, and um, children as well, I suppose, but I guess they wouldn't have been all that interested in reading, but um, women could go as well? Yes, certainly. Yeah, yep. mm. It was open to everyone. I, I did read one description where there was a big long table with chairs around it, so it probably was a fairly bare sort of uh, place with a few shelves around the edges as well. But it was free to all um, to enter. Um, I don't know that they had children's books, so that also, of course, would have been a limiting factor. So the material was adult material uh, that was available. Right. So that's our first library way back in 1879 or thereabouts, you said. So, uh, um, and it was limited to just books. Yes, and as and, I say, and magazines. Yes, and, and like. these magazines and periodicals were, of course, very, very popular because that was people's link. Back yes, to, to the, home, to, to home. What's um, happening? Yeah, and and they were still very, of course, close to their origins um, overseas. You said on point. the corner of the square, so we're about. It was apparently about where Fisherman's Table is. I oh, understand right, yep. it was a building there, but that building did actually burn down, um, or yeah, I think at some point. And it became the Bank of New Zealand. So uh, the Bank of New Zealand built quite a substantial building on that corner oh, right. before it moved across the square. Because a lot of them, of course, were wooden buildings, which, of course, were prone to fires. And that's that's definitely right. Um, and Palmerston North, like every town around New Zealand, was um, was at the mercy of fire, really. So from... As they say, from Little Acorns, Great Oaks um, grow. So since since 1879, when we first started out with our first council library, um, there have been lots of improvements and moves um, as the city and the library um, contents got larger. So where, where did it go from there? Right, well, in 1885, as I just mentioned, that building did burn down. And so they lost absolutely everything in there. Now, it had been very popular, uh, and certainly the community generally was very supportive of it. <clears throat> but they, um, after this fire, they did reopen uh, in another building, and uh, but it was never successful. They opened with limited stock, I guess, as much as they could buy. They did have some insurance, luckily, but it only bought a certain amount. And the, it was really, it started to lack public support. And the council also passed their control onto a group of trustees to administer it. So it wasn't terribly successful at that point. And in 1890, they actually gave the book stock to the Palmerston North Working Men's Club. Now, they had recently... Uh, been instituted and had a small library themselves. So they gave their books to the care of the Working Men's Club and they uh, 
made them available, but only to their club members. So in other words, women weren't allowed. <laughs> That's right, and it was a working men's club. So um, so this was who had access to this to the book collection at this point in time, um, certainly not the general public. And then in 1894, the council uh, decided that they would pass it on to the Palmerston North Voluntary Fire Brigade, which does sound a strange place, place to, to give go. It. Yeah. But they also had a library. They were in Coleman Mall, which was where the fire station was, and they made it open to public subscriptions. So it was much more attractive at that point. Um, and basically they were custodians of the book collection because they still were in council hands, but they were passing them on at this point. But they were quite successful when they were with them. So that by 1900, the council then decided again that they would take over control of a library. Um, mainly because it started from the idea that they needed a new reading room because that was something that the uh, fire brigade couldn't offer. They could offer the books, book stock oh, right. but not yes. a reading room. So the council uh, decided that they would fund a, read, a new reading room and they started to grow a new stock of books And because the fire brigade obviously couldn't offer that. And they went into the Colonial Bank building. Now, the Colonial Bank building was um, is on the was on the site of Square Edge, um, and that uh, the council took a lease on that building, a sort of quite a substantial two storied building there, and the library moved in. And once again, it was still funded by subscriptions. The council gave them a grant. There was the special rate that allowed the council to contribute money to it. And it was quite successful in that building uh, and operated well as a town library. But in 1905, the council itself, which operated from a building almost on the corner of the square and Main Street, around about where the courthouse is now, and just in that vicinity. And they had a single-storey wooden building that they were outgrowing. So they decided, well, we've got the lease on this two-storey building, we'll take over the Colonial Bank building, and the library can move into the wooden building. So there was a swap, and so in 1905 they moved to Main Street and operated from there until 1929. Now, in 1929, I guess this was really, you know, the town was quite reasonably substantial by then. In 1930, we came a, became a city. So we, we've got quite a sophisticated town at this point. And in 1929, the council decided to build a purpose-built library. So this then was going to... Um, uh, you know, provide a real library service. And the Occidental Hotel, which had been on the corner of Fitzherbert Avenue and the square, had burnt down. And so the council took that site and built a two-storied building that went around the corner and they put the library on the top floor and shops and offices on the bottom, which, of course, was going to help fund the library. Uh, very popular uh, very successful, still a subscription library until 1938. So in 1938 was the point where it became a free library service. And they did have a rental part, which 
um, an awful lot of libraries still do uh, for fiction. But uh, basically it was free to all. Uh, they set library standards. They started to use a Dewey system. They employed librarians who kind of knew what they were doing rather than just popping someone <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to issue yeah. books. Mm-hmm. And um, there were no subscriptions. So it was free lending apart from any rental books that you could take as well. And the membership grew hugely between uh, 1938 over the next five years. I was reading that it actually grew from just over a thousand members to fifteen thousand by nineteen forty-three. Wow. <laughs> so uh, very, very popular, um, and that may have been partly because of this. Uh, it was a free. So would service. any of those books still be available? I would doubt it, unless mm. they were very rare and um, very uh, probably very valuable in content. Uh, because libraries, of course, do change stock. That's it's. Unlike an archive where we preserve things for the future, a library is all about presenting new material uh, for the public, apart from rare and valuable books that you might need for study purposes. Right. Um, so that was uh, so that library operated, and every now and then we get people come into the library and they say, "Oh, I remember my first library was the one over on the corner of Fitzherbert Avenue." As a child, they had a children's section as well. So this was the beginning of of actually expanding that collection to cater for a much wider group of the community. So, in um, but in 1965, we get our second purpose-built building. Um, as a library on the corner of Main Street in the Square, just down from that 1905 library. Right on the corner, the building is still there and it was uh, had shops once again on the ground floor, but it did uh, have the library proper up above. And uh, that was said to be a fabulous library. A lot of members of of the community of Palmerston North will remember that building. Um, it had a fountain. It had stairways that you could navigate. You, uh, it, you know, it started to really expand the service. It had display space, all sorts of things that um, were then be- starting to become popular. Um, in 1967, a mobile service began. So. Uh, they took the books out to people. They had had some branch libraries at that point, but um, they closed most of them down so that they could operate this mobile service. And uh, that service, of course, has grown as time's gone as well as uh, reopening a lot of those branches or opening new branches. And then, of course, once again, outgrown. And in 1996, the council decided that they would buy the old department store and try to enliven that side of the square by placing the library there. And that's where this living room of the city concept was uh, Uh, created and grown. Right, so we're going to take a break now and we're going to hear um, Billy Joe Walker Jr. with his rendition of Old World. Thank you. 
We're back with Leslie Courtney telling us about the history of the library. So we're now in the current living room in the city, as I said before. So what are the areas um, that are available in the library, Leslie? Right, well, the um, library, of course, this was a new concept, um, as you say. It was, it was sort of your second home that you could come to. It was spacious and it offered some new services like food and uh, a bookshop and showers and all sorts of things. And you were encouraged to come and sit and relax and take your time over choosing it. So that has continued as we've gone. And within the library itself, within the central library, we uh, the actual building, we of course have the uh, fiction area, uh, the non-fiction area. We still have a sound and vision area, though of course as you can imagine, uh, things like DVDs are you know, still popular, but they are not as popular, as, of course, as they were even just a few years ago. We have uh, a computer area, very popular. Not everybody has computers at home. Not everybody has access to the internet. So this is a service that all libraries offer these days and is certainly well patronised. Then we have the uh, archives which are part of the building, and the heritage area in general, which uh, is more about the history, not only of our local community, but the wider New Zealand area as well, complemented by our own local archives from both the council and the community. So that's all on offer within our building. Down the bottom of the building, access only from the square, is Makerspace, so Makerspace is a relatively new area of the library and this is a place where people can go in and literally use the space to make things. And the provision is that we can give them the equipment that might be needed. Now obviously we can't cater for absolutely everything but for example you can use the sewing machines, you can solder things, you can use computer programs to create things, you can make 3D models or 3D um, pieces that might be needed to uh, fit something that's broken at home. So, there, and there's a wide amount of, of material there and staff that can guide you through using that safely because some of it, of course, does need to be taught how to, how to use those so that uh, it, they are used safely. The, um, that's a very popular and growing area and it's something that uh, there's a lot of repeat users and there's people who might just want a one-off thing but uh, certainly it covers the needs of um, a section of the community that might not necessarily need other parts of the library. And then, of course, we have Youth Space, which is in a separate building just on the corner of George Street and Coleman Mall. And that is a space dedicated to our youth up to 18 years old. And it is really a space that they can hang out. Uh, there's a small lending library of books as well, uh, which gets rotated with the youth collection in the main library. And uh, lots of activities that go on there. Uh, a very wonderful space to provide for those uh People who are looking for um, uh, company, looking for activities, maybe looking for books, 
wonderful staff who can engage them with certain things uh, that keep them busy and occupied. And uh, certainly it's a service that has grown uh, considerably over time. And that's available when libraries open, is that right? Not exactly. It has slightly different hours. Uh, Sometimes it's only open in the afternoons, and of course it gets busier after school hours. So it, it does vary its hours to cater for its clientele, which are, of course, uh, mainly school children. Does, it, does the library have a um, website where people can find all this information? Yes, certainly. So we have the um, Palmerston City Library website, and you can just honestly Google Palmerston City Library and it will bring up the website. It's probably easier than trying to remember what it's a, called what and a, a URL. Yeah. So, uh, and, and there is a uh, uh, as it tells you all about all the different services that are offered. And then, of course, there are Facebook pages. Uh, there's a blog on the website. So you can find out a lot about the library and, of course, search the catalogue and, and handle your own account if you want to, like holds and uh, renewing a book, etc. yourself through the library website. Right. Now, um, it has rather a large staff and they have specified responsibilities. Is that correct? Like, for example, you're the team leader for the archives. That's right. Yep. So so we have a lot of people who have expertise in particular areas. We do tend to be generalists as well so that we can um, help out across the library when that might be needed. But generally, uh, there are a lot of the positions that uh, have expertise. For example, we have a programs team. So they are the people who look after our children's uh, programs throughout the year, but of course, uh, largely in the school holidays as well. Then we have, um, obviously, adult uh, events and programs that happen. And we have um, we have multicultural uh, we have a multicultural collection, but we also have a multicultural librarian who works with that community to bring people together and to provide a liaison with the library too. We have, of course, the archives and the research team who look after Manawatu Heritage, which is our digital repository, and our general New Zealand historical collections, plus, of course, the archives, which are very important because there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes with those. There's, um, yeah, there's uh, a lot of activities that go on that are generated by the library, which is where uh, we, we are able to provide all those services and it's uh, you may not ever see some of those people very widely, but they're all working very hard behind the scenes as well as out front to help the customers uh, as they need. So there are presentations as well, like you have film festivals and exhibitions? Absolutely, yes. So uh, obviously I'm talking in general because COVID has put um, – a different slant on some of our activities. But, of course, yes, we do. The Film Festival is a wonderful collaboration. uh, We have a lot of um, groups that use the library that come in. For example, like the Royal Society has a monthly meeting there, very popular, and they use that space for it. There's small groups, there's meeting rooms uh, that people can use for their own personal uh, 
business as such. We have things like the Justices of the Peace come in. So they hold a clinic on a Friday once a week and people can just access them like they can access them in other places. But as we say, being the living room and being open like that, it does make it an attractive place. So do they need an appointment for that? No, they can just call in and it's just, you just stand in line. Uh, A lot of the inquiries are quite quick, so it's signing things, but there could be people who take a wee bit longer. Uh, We also have the Māori Land Court that comes comes up to the second floor, and they use this as a venue too because the Māori Land Court is actually based in uh, Whanganui, and they come over once a month to meet with people. They do take appointments, and they basically run a clinic with either individuals or groups of people and talk to them about what the Māori Land Court can offer in individual cases. Um, And alongside that on the second floor, we also have genealogy volunteers who have greater expertise really than the staff in navigating your family history. Right, well, we've almost run out of time. In fact, we have. So um, we've missed out on, uh, on future plans for improvement, etc., and all the technology advances. So possibly we could get you back to um, do another program, um, but more in depth on some of those things. So thank you very much, Leslie. Thanks, Ian. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.